have a New Jersey license plate and you're first time guest, your car's still running. And so we just want to let you know. And I don't blame you. If you're from Jersey, you're used to having to get out of places fast anyway. So um, I don't know what kind of car it is. I was just told your car is running. Uh, so if you're here to do something evil, you've just been exposed. Just go ahead and leave in the name of Jesus. He's probably pickpocketing us. If you're from Jersey, we know how y'all think. Um, I went to high school. In fact, I went to middle school in Long Island, so I've been exposed to that little territory. How many, where are my Northeasterners at? Let me see. All the Jersey, all the New Yorkers. Uh, just watch your pockets. Watch your purses. If they raise their hand, just kind of pull your child closer to you. And uh, we are honored to have you. And of course, we want to welcome those that are joining from one of our campuses, one of also maybe 13 correctional facility campuses. We have the honor to bring in the gospel and to bring Celebration Church into the prisons here in the Austin Metroplex. And then also want to say thank you for your continued generosity. It's important that you're not a tipper. Some of you don't even tip well at restaurants. But when it comes to God, we're called to tithe. Tithe is just simply, I trust you, God. Tithe really just simply means God is the Lord of my life. And uh, no matter what happens, I can trust him. And that's what tithing does. But your tithing communicates also the gospel to areas like Shai Shai, Mozambique, Africa. You just saw that facility. That's happening because of your generosity. That's not happening because of a dollar here, a dollar here. It's happening because people literally give of their time and their life through their giving and through, of course, their money. And so we just want to say thank you for that. We are a no-pressure-filled church. To be honest with you, we never say to give this amount or that amount. We always just say pray. Have the Lord tell you what to do. But we also do believe in the systematic and the continual process of what God does call all of us to participate in, and that is not based on how much income you have. It's just based on the first portion belongs to the Lord. That's all it just simply means. Tithing just simply means acknowledging God. I know that you're the king of my life. I acknowledge this with the tithe. It's the first fruits, and then after that, everything else, God, you take care of. So just thank you for your continued giving and your generosity, and uh, we're able to do what we're doing in Mozambique because of that. Can we just thank God for the team there in Mozambique, Africa? Yeah. I, uh, I'm wearing a contact this morning. I didn't wear the contact in the first service, and so I'm going to wear it in the second service. So if I am off by a hundred different scriptures, just forgive me. I don't know where I am. And, uh, but I am, for those that are new, I've had about seven detached retina, torn retina surgeries, and uh, that's been about a three, three-and-a-half-year process, and I just didn't feel like wearing glasses today. But then you go to the old man version of these glasses where are all the reader people at? Let me see your hand. You know, I've discovered when you go to readers, you have like 900 pair. You just, you just get one at Bucky's. And uh, so, Father, speak to us. Speak to us your word. We thank you, Lord, that in your word is your presence. In your word, when we're in your word, Lord, we're in your world. We're not in this world. We're in your world. Now, I thank you that your world is unbreakable. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Thank you for these baptisms today. We thank you for what you're going to do in their lives as well. And all the family are here in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Is it me or is it my age when I think about the things that my parents had, like the washing machine, the dryer, they never broke down? How many had things that you remember growing up forever? My parents had a washing machine. We moved every two years. My dad was an NFL football coach. NFL stands for not for long, and we were not for long anywhere. But what I do remember, maybe the most consistent thing in my life was the washing machine, the dryer, my mother's vacuum cleaner, blenders, a 1964 Chevrolet Impala. My dad said I was conceived in the back seat of that of that king-sized bed back there. <laughs> Can't be true because I was born in 64, so who knows who I belong to. <laughs> My dad used to say, Mama, baby, Papa, maybe, but that's a whole nother subject. All that to say, things, I think, didn't break like they break. I think that today, things break all the time. 
You go buy that washing machine and there's a really good chance you're going to have to get a new one within a couple of months. Connor Champion oversees our university bought a dryer or a washer and the first day, the first time he used it, he's having to call Home Depot to come pick it up. Oh, it's cool. It's sexy. It's sleek. It's, it's awesome. I mean, it looks amazing. It doesn't look like the industrial dryer and the washer that I had growing up. But ours worked. <laughs> and things didn't break. We're calling this series that we're in for the next four weeks today and for the next three, we're calling it Unbreakable. Because I think we all would agree that we are living in a world that seemingly is breaking down everywhere. Uh, the word unbreakable, it's something that can't be shattered, can't be cracked. It can't be easily destroyed or broken. It's able to withstand. It's able to endure. It's able to continue. It's able to survive. But when you look at what's happening in our world today, it seemingly is that a lot of things are breaking down. When you just look at the news and what people say about what institutions they used to trust or institutions or organizations or things that were fixtures, they were, they were symbols, if you will, that would never go away, symbols that were uh, to us secure are now no longer secure. When you think about maybe the court systems or education systems or when it comes to media and the news, you, you don't have a Walter Cronkite anymore. You, you just don't know what kind of news you're getting. When it comes to banking or even in the government or military, elections, we just don't know, right? And so much of what we have going on, even, even when it comes to this world that seemingly is breaking, look at, look at the Pac-10. It's now what? The Pac-4. Like literally overnight, your football conference is falling apart. Your Dallas Cowboys. Where are my Dallas Cowboy fans? Okay. They're part of the Jersey crowd. You've got to watch those same people. I mean, there would, there would be days when you could plan on getting to your destination, and now you need to leave on a Monday if you plan to get somewhere on Saturday. Truth is, things just seem to be breaking. And this is where we're going because I think that as it relates to this world, nothing seems to be unbreakable. And I want to also bring it down to really what the series is about. It's about the church. For the next four weeks, we're talking about the church. Because when the church breaks, I'm going to tell you, it's tragic. We're not just talking about something that's temporary. We're talking about people's faith in God. Eternal life is in the balance. That when the church suffers, when the church is breakable, or when the church begins to go into a direction that can't, of course, causes people to not trust, it really is devastating. And I want us to be a church that, frankly, is like mama's washing machine and washer and dryers that work. I don't want it to be because we've made it cool, we've made it sleek, we've made it sexy, we've, we've made it appealing to the flesh, and then... And then, as you know as well as I do, it, it really doesn't get the job done. Because if we're not careful, the Bible tells us in the last days, Paul writes, that the church will frankly move to a method of what we would call the tickling, tickling people, tickling people, tickling ears. In other words, you're giving people what makes them feel good, but it, it doesn't make them good. It doesn't make them righteous. It doesn't bring the truth of God's word. In other words, what ends up happening is in a church that goes more towards promotion rather than the power of God, it's going to break. It's going to break. And so we want to talk about this. We want to, because with so many of you new to our church, as we have a traffic jam every week now, and people said to me this morning, Pastor Joe, I used to sit here, now I can't even sit close. I got to sit in the back, and we're, thank you for working with us. We're trying to figure out the best way to get in and out of the property. And, and I'm trying to shorten my message in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I'm trying to shorten my message. And um, I'm going to get there. We're going to get there. Or by the end of this series, I'll be by myself because you guys won't come back. 
you'll leave your car running and then you'll just leave. I know what he's doing. He's probably thinking, you know, I'll just leave the car running and then as soon as he goes into prayer, I'll be the first car out of this New York City traffic jam. But the church cannot be breakable. Now, not all churches are unbreakable. When you look at the book of Revelation, he writes to churches. He writes to churches that were, frankly, breaking. And he told them, he says, I need you to repent. I need you to begin to look at what you're doing so that I do not remove your what? Your lampstand. Just because we call ourselves a church doesn't mean it's his church. Not all churches are his church. In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And then we'll close and kind of camp around Hebrews chapter 12. Simon Peter, when Jesus said, who do you think I am? He goes, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, bingo, you got this. Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This did not come. You're not, you're not in the church, nor are you in the kingdom because you were educated into the kingdom or because you were in the system of church or the system of Christianity or because you were taught the values and the doctrines. There are people that can sit in churches from the day that they're born until the day that they die and never enter the kingdom. The church role is not the same role that is recorded in heaven. There are people that might be in the book of a church membership, but they're not in the Lamb's book of life. It's different. And the enemy has always been, being Satan himself, has always tried to get people to think religiously, to think that because they're in a church or because they're in a religion or because they hear to or believe in a certain kind of value system like Christianity, that makes them in Christ. That does not put you in Christ. You have to be born again. That means you've got to have what the Bible says. Jesus said to Nick at night, he said, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, said, I want to be in the kingdom. And he goes, I can't even talk to you about it unless you're born again. He stops him in the middle of the conversation. And he goes, it's going to be confusing to you if I talk another word to you about it unless God births you. So you don't join the church, you're birthed into the church. You don't join, though we have membership. But we also want you to understand that that membership does not supersede what is more important, and that is friendship with God and the revelation of God. And this is what happened to Simon. He goes, Simon, I know you. I know you. You're not that smart. God had to open up your eyes for you to say this. He says, my Father in heaven has revealed this or has caused this to happen. And then he says, and I, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, what rock was he talking about? He's not saying I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter, the rock. You're not the first apostle. What he is saying is, Peter, you are a piece of the rock. That's what the word Peter means. You're a piece of the rock. You're a pebble. You're a fruity pebble in this cereal bowl of church. Where are my fruity pebble people at right there? He says, you are a pebble, but the rock is what? The revelation. My church is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. That's where the church is built upon. It's not built upon personalities. It's not built upon people. It's interesting that when the church started, it started with Jesus having his 12 disciples. His disciples were never supposed to be bishops. They were missionaries. Isn't it interesting that we have seen the church, we have taken people that were supposed to be missional, become bishops, or they become officials. How many know that's what happens to the church? How many know that's what can happen to all of us? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Where we start becoming mechanical. We start getting, becoming artificial. And then we just become robotic. And then we're just like, hello, I went to church today. I went to church today. I just went to church today. And people are like, and I don't want to go to church with you today. I don't want to know anything about you because you're artificial. You're saccharine. You're just some kind of sweet and low-looking person. And there's no life. There's just, what did you learn? I learned that God so loved the world that he gave his love to me. It's just like zero connection. 
This is what Peter, and this is what Jesus was saying. Peter, now I can do something with you. You're not in some kind of mesmerized, mechanical, if you will, uh, rehearsed belief. God did this. God met you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to build my church upon the same revelation. And now watch my church. I will build my church. Come on, say those two words, my church. Notice, if he says I'm going to build my church, that means that not all churches are his. There are churches that are being built not by Christ. There are churches where Christ, frankly, if he showed up, he would not be welcome because they have an agenda. (laughs) They have a program to run. And he says, I will build my church. And then he goes what? And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Basically what he's saying is when it's mine, it's unbreakable. See, I want you to see something. When it's his, it's unbreakable. When you give your life to him, it's unbreakable. Your life is unbreakable in his hands. Maybe you've walked in here with a burden. Maybe you've walked in here with a problem. And of course, we all have them. We all deal with it. Have you given it to Him? Because when it becomes mine, the gates of hell will not prevail. When it becomes mine, when you give me, when God is saying here, you give that to me. Give that cancer to me. Give that problem to me. Give that person to me. Trust me with it. When we moved here 23 years ago and we didn't know a single person, it had to, on a daily basis, to this very day, I still come on Sundays especially, and I still pull up wondering if anybody's ever going to come. It's not a coincidence. It's really something that happens every Sunday. I say to myself, this could be the day. Now, if we lose one more road to construction, maybe this will come to pass. But every day, but in particular on the weekends when things are supposed to come together, I often, and I say, Lord, this is your church. I didn't come up with this idea. I didn't move to this city. This is not my vision. This is not my dream. See, let me tell you something about God. He will protect what is His. Don't have a vision and then ask the Lord to protect your vision. Don't have a dream and then ask the Lord to protect your dream. Don't have a plan and then ask the Lord to get involved into your plan. How many know, let it be his plan. Let it be filtered through his power. And then guess what? The gates of hell can't touch it. Doesn't mean you won't have problems. Doesn't mean you won't have struggles. Let me give you another principle. Old Testament. The Bible tells us Israel was now, of course, the children of Israel are in and under the power of the king of Egypt. And we know the story of now Joseph being used of God to bless the children of Israel, to bless, frankly, the world by the storage of grain and the keeping people alive through the famine. But there came a new king. There came a new order. There came a new world that came up and came, and it says this new king arose over Egypt, and he had no regard for Joseph. How many would believe that we're living in a day where there was a culture that would regard certain things that no longer regard certain things? There, there was a day, there was a season, there was times in our country, in our world, where there were some things that were not said. Now things are just said. There's a new realm. There's a new reign. There's just a new way, and it's no longer regarding what was. And so this is what's happening here. There's a new king who could care less about who Joseph is, who could care less about the story. And so as he now has no regard for Joseph or the hand of God upon Joseph, He said to his people, the people of the sons of Israel are becoming more and mightier than us. Come, let us deal wisely. That word there means shrewdly. Let's deal with a cutting edge. Let's be very shrewd. Let's be be very, if you will, ungracious to them. Or else they're going to multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us. And fight against us and depart from the land. Now guess what? They were going to depart from the land. (laughs) What he did by what he's about to do only accelerated that. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramesses. Now here is the law of what we just read when Jesus said, My kingdom will prevail over every kingdom of darkness. Or not one enemy's plan or scheme is going to work against my church the more it says the more they afflicted them the more they what the more they multiplied 
See, do you understand something? That if you're a Christ follower, do you understand what is inside of you? There is this more that goes above and beyond anything that the world throws at you. And then what is thrown at you only becomes fuel for you. It only becomes that which you need in order to become what God has called you to become. The more that they were afflicted, the more they advanced. The more that was given to them to try to kill them and to destroy them, the more they multiplied. And they began to spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. In other words, whenever the enemy begins to try to work in such a way to kill you, to steal, to rob, and to destroy, God takes that which was meant for evil and He turns it for good. You see, if you don't understand this law, if you don't understand this principle, this is an unbreakable principle. You're unbreakable. You are unbreakable. The question is, if you are breaking or if there is something, as I was told by my doctor, as I'm now moving from the knees to the shoulder. He says, you have micro breaks. You have in your shoulder the micro tears. And that's where your pain is coming from. I said, I don't care. Give me a shot. (laughs) And we all have micro tears. They're not major. Maybe it's something you don't even know about. But over time, a little tear, a little tear, a little break, a little hurt, a little rejection. And what happens over time? What happens in those micro moments? Your life, especially not just with God, but with people can become callous. And you used to like people. Who used to like people? Let me see you. I mean, you were a people person. You were on the phone. You didn't mind hanging out. You were that person that could pick up the phone and talk to anybody. And now you can't be found. Your car is running. You're ready to go. You, I'm going to milk Jersey all the way. And what ends up happening is you begin to break away from people. And you begin to try to do life without people. You think you can do it without people. And as much as we would love to do life without people, as much as I would love to be able to do life, as as much as I'd love to do church without people, (laughs) church would be awesome if it just wasn't for the people. The people, I'm talking about my staff. I'm not even talking about the people. Y'all are great. It's the team that Jesus had more problems with his disciples. And I don't have problems with but a couple of them. Um, (laughs) I want to kind of land now to Hebrews. We're going to go, go to Hebrews chapter 12 because I'm giving you the Jesus thought about his church. It's unbreakable. You see this unbreakable power in the book of Exodus with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Now Paul, who I believe's fingerprints are all over Hebrews. It's not definitive that he wrote it, but I do believe most guys lean to the fact that there's a really good chance that Paul wrote it. But that's neither here nor there. Paul writes these words to Hebrews to Jews who had become Christians. They had given their life to Christ. They are no longer a part of Judaism, but now they're in a war. They're in a battle. They're being afflicted, frankly. They're being punished. They're being mistreated for their leaving Judaism for Christ. And now Paul, or the writer, is saying these things. He says, you are not a part of a system. Bless you. You're not a part of a system that was like the Old Testament, a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire, which was the Old Testament pattern of when Moses would go and speak to God and to darkness and to gloom and to whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound which so that those who heard it, even the animals begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches this mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, even I, a friend of God, who the Lord would speak to face to face. He goes, I am full of fear and trembling. What Paul is describing, what the writer is describing there is what I think can be very much for our standard and even for our day. He's kind of describing to these Hebrews what you were once a part of. How many were part of a church when you went, it was like going to a trumpet blast. 
where you were going to get the riot act. You were going to be, if you're not careful, you're probably going to be sentenced to hell. You're going to be judged. You're going to, you, you had to dress a certain way. You had to look a certain way because you know that preacher was going to bring this plumb line. And he was going to come and he's ready to cut and he was ready to shoot. And, and this, was, this was Sunday. Preacher's looking at you. And, of course, if you sat in the wrong seat, you're going to get blasted. If you would ever, you were going to get blasted. If you weren't in church last Sunday, you were going to get blasted. And what Paul was saying here is that I think he's, he's trying to say, guys, this is, that's not our system. We're not under this kind of fear-based world anymore, this fear-based church, this fear-based kingdom where we are afraid to be with God. He says, you have come, or now a new system, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, where myriads of angels gather, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God who is the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Contrasting Old Testament sacrifice and New Testament sacrifice. Then he goes, see to it, because we are now a part of this kind of life-giving church. Not the church of the Old Testament, if you will, that people hated and didn't want to be a part of. He goes, but you are now a part of a church that is full of life. You've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. He has cleansed you of your sins. Verse 25, but see to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warmed on earth, that earthly system, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. In other words, we are in a better world. We're in a better system. We have a better church. It's a living church. It's a life-giving church. But nevertheless, you don't mess with God. You don't play with him. He's still real. He's still... He's still the God who requires righteousness. And he warns, and his voice shook the earth in, but now, watch this. But he promises, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, because he is in reference now to the fall of Israel, the fall of Jerusalem, the wall, 70 A.D. What he is saying is, God brought that down. It's over. And just as that was been shaken, he goes, he promises he's going to shake the heavens. So in other words, he shook the Judaism system. Now he's going to shake the Christian system. He is no respecter of people. And he says now, because he is also going to shake that which is from heaven, he's talking about Christianity. He says he's going to make sure that the Christianity of today, he says, is not created by man. So that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, God says he's always about shaking or making sure that what you are is unshakable or unbreakable. He's always positioning you to be what he has called you to be, and that is be conformed to his image and his likeness. And that requires fire. That requires test. That requires pressure. And he goes, see to it that you don't escape this, but let us, now notice, but let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now the next line, the next verse, the next chapter, he says, let love of the brethren continue and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing. I want us to look at this for a moment because it's interesting that when he's talking to a group of people that are under pressure and a group of people that are facing persecution because they are believers in Jesus, he is giving us this command in the middle of all that crazy world. He says, but there is this responsibility that you have to serve God acceptably. In other words, what he's saying is there's people that don't serve God acceptably. Not all is acceptable. Not all of it is pleasing to God. Just because you do it in his name doesn't necessarily mean that it bears his name. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has the quality of his name or has the motive of his name. It has, the, it has what is important, the characteristics and the features of what is righteous. He goes, so that you are fearing God, he goes, or that you are serving God acceptably, he says, let's be grateful even in the day of what is hard. And then he says these two things. There are two things that I want to give you today before we leave. Because we're talking about an unbreakable church. 
The only way that a church remains unbreakable in a world that's breaking is he goes, you're to serve God acceptably, showing grace or gratitude by what? Number one, loving the brotherhood and showing hospitality to strangers. Let me just tell you about what he's saying right there. Number one, you are to love the people that are in the house of God. Love or brotherly love. What he's saying there is philoia or having brotherly love. He goes, guys, don't ever stop loving the house of God in a world that hates the house of God. He's talking literally about don't disconnect from church. That's what he's saying. Love the brotherhood. Let love of the brethren in Thessalonians. He says, let your love of the people of God continue and even grow more and more. One of the things that I try to do, and I try because I come from a background of anti-church people. My world was anti-church. They were not church haters. They were not antagonistic. They had no judgment to people who went to church. I've told the story. My mom my dad used to say, go to church. I said, I'm five. How am I supposed to get there? My parents believed in just walking. Just get out and go, and somebody will pick you up and bring you back as soon. How many had parents like that? They just, just go. And so I got in the van with a Hare Krishna one day. That didn't work. And so I came back. But my parents, I just remember, I said, how come we don't go to church? They go, we don't need it. We don't like it. And then I asked my dad, I asked my mom in particular, I said, what was it? Why are you so not wanting to go to church? And I heard the story. My mom was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Baptist. And they both had experiences. They both had their, honestly, they both had valid points that in the natural, I could understand why they disconnected from church. I can understand why literally they were shaken out of church and their faith was broken in church. Their faith, their faith not with God, but their faith in church. And they would always say, organized religion. Joe, if it's organized, it's bad. And I said, Dad, you're an NFL football coach. I want to ask you a question. If you took that same principle and said organization's bad, do you think that's why you're getting fired every two years, you loser? You need to be organized. Do you say an or, a disorganized team is a good team, Jerry Jones? How many know that doesn't work like that? Well, do you want a disorganized accountant? Do you want a disorganized doctor? Do you want a disorganized mechanic? Of course you don't. What? What? Why? And where do we get this idea that if it's organized religion, it's of the devil? God is the God of organization. But I understand what people also are saying, and that is that there's normally follow the money, follow the trail, follow the power. And where often the organization leads to, it leads to an organizational boss called the pastor. That would be me, right? <laughs> and I know my mom and my dad, my mom in particular, remembers every Friday the pastor of that little church in Mississippi would come and my grandfather would every Friday give the pastor food, clothes, and money for his, for his own personal family, a little congregation in Hamburg, Mississippi. And my mother would listen and would watch my grandfather give this pastor money, food, and clothing for his little family that he could not feed and he could not clothe and would give money for the congregation. In fact, built the building. And then she went on a particular Sunday and that pastor was up there saying, Hank Gregory is a wicked man. And he's going to hell because he's not saved or because of whatever he was preaching that day. And when a little five-year-old girl sees that same preacher on the back steps getting stuff, and then on the next Sunday watching that same preacher preach about him burning down hell and being in hell forever and ever. How many know that would mess you up? Maybe that's why mom and I did not get along after I became a pastor. I don't know. I'm just, we did actually. But the reality is, is that sometimes carries over. And it shakes us. And it makes us. And it breaks us down. And we go, okay, I'm done with church. 
fact, some of y'all, that story right there, you're like, I quit. No, okay. <laughs> because the enemy already, listen, when you go to a church, you're already looking for reasons. You're already looking for microfactures. Because the enemy is trying to do what he can to keep you from the love of the brotherhood, the love of the house of God, the love of the church. He goes, let because you're called by grace to serve God acceptably. This looks like what? This looks like, number one, I'm going to love the house of God. I'm going to love God's people. I am going to love the brotherhood. That's what he says particularly. Do not let in the days that we live in to disconnect you from your involvement of the church. Here's the second thing that he says. Let or do not neglect a spirit of hospitality to strangers. And you never know that stranger may be what? An angel. You never know what that particular encounter with that stranger may be. Or what that encounter may produce. Is that in the realm of the miraculous? Sure, I think he is talking about literally supernatural angels. I can talk about stories of people that we've met. Things that happened. People that disappeared. Things that literally saved our lives. And then you look around for that person to thank and they're not there. I don't think it's always in that realm because I think here's the second thing that he says. That word there, not neglecting or not forgetting to, here's what it literally means, to be fond of gifts. What does that mean? New people. Love those that are here, but never close the door to new people. That's what he's saying. And you and I have got to, if we're going to serve God acceptably, what he says is, in a world that wants to suck the grace right out of you, have grace to make new relationships. What happens to most churches? We've talked about it, but I want to hit it again. Most churches, and this is what I want to give you, these five little points real quick. Why do we neglect the next generation of believers? Why do we neglect the next generation, not just in young people, but I'm talking about the new members. I'm talking about people that are new, people that are here for the first time, people that have been coming for the last three months or even for the last year. I meet every Sunday people that are here or have only been here for three or four times. What is it that makes them not want to come back? What is it that causes people to come to a church like you are here today and then go, I don't think I want to go? Besides traffic, I think this is what happens. Number one, we don't, in fact, we just, frankly, I'll put it like this, we want to forget. And I say it in this particular way, we want to forget or we just choose to neglect because you know what? The church is big enough. Pastor Joe, the church is big enough. If there's one person going to hell in Austin, the church is not big enough. Do you think there's some people that don't know Christ around here? Because I want to bring you back to the Scripture. Knowing that God is a consuming fire, what do you think Paul is saying right there? What do you think the writer is saying in that Hebrews chapter 12? That you and I have to realize that there is a fire. The storm of what we're hearing about, that fire storm that hit in Maui. And of course now the post-fire and the 388 people that they released the names of yesterday. Or maybe up to 1,000 that they don't know. And what you're hearing about now is why wasn't everything done to save people? So when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, it says, knowing that God is a consuming fire. He's quoting Deuteronomy 4.24. God is a consuming fire. He's jealous. So we don't have the right to just say, you know what? God's going to save them. The place is on fire. People, the Bible says, knowing that God is a consuming fire, knowing that they're going to face the wrath of God. And that the only hope that people have for the wrath of God is God. And God's wrath was poured on Jesus. That's why there's no other name. There's no other way. There's no other wrath. There's no other salvation given among men by which we be saved. Because why? God's wrath fell upon Christ so it wouldn't fall upon humanity. And that is a reality. It's just as real as people that don't get out of that house in time. If they don't hear the name of Jesus, they're lost. That's what he's saying. Because God's a consuming fire, he's a jealous God. And anything and everything that is not under him or that has not named him doesn't have eternal life. 
And we just think that when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that was just like, if you feel like it. If, I don't know, if the opportunity is just perfect. If everything just lines up and the stars line up and your horoscope lines up and they basically say to you, how do I go to heaven? Then, that's a perfect opportunity. That's not what he's saying. That we are literally... We're like people that were there in Hawaii in the sense that there's fires in the lives of people. And we're here to help people get out, to find hope, to find life. And we often, though, in the church, when a church starts to grow like we've seen it even the last year, we just say, well, we're big enough. There's enough people. And that is always what God would say to us is neglectful. Don't forget. Number two, we get comfortable. Guys, this is also, you can use this for your own business. What happens when a business hits a certain point, a certain stride, a certain level? We just begin to think we're good enough. It's comfortable. Pastor Joe, I am comfortable. I don't want to give up my seat. I don't like more people coming to this church. I hate change. And if it stayed this the way it is now, that's awesome. And God goes, no, don't get comfortable. This is what he's saying. You live for this reason. Number three, we get exclusive. We get exclusive. How many know churches can become gangs? That's all it is. We're just just cartels. (laughs) Have you ever been to some churches? They look at you. They're looking at each other with signals. They got these signs. When I drive up, I've got hand signals. When I come up and I got our parking lot, I got hand signals. I do certain lights. There's, listen, there's a certain way to get around this place. <laughs> but what ends up happening, it's, you end up with the church that's not growing. You can't flush out the old cartels. You can't flush out the old cliques. There's a vodka bottle that was just spilled right there. <laughs> And what we can't ever have is a spirit in our church, people that don't like new people. It should bother you that you don't know the person next to you. For some reason, I know part of it's the grace of God on me, but it's also I've taken what the Word says. Go and be nice to strangers or get into the world of people that are potentially new guests. You never know what impact, what dynamic life they're going to bring to you. That's how I read that scripture. It's not that they're just angels. It's going to be angelic when you meet new people. Number four, we get tired. We get stale. We just, we're worn out. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that pastor. Therefore, I don't want to be that church where we are just frankly tired. That's why he says, Paul writes to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that lies within you. Fan into flame. What he is saying is, Timothy, you once had a light. You once had a fire. That thing has grown dim. You need to stir it back. You need to get some oxygen on that thing. How many have ever had to blow a fire back into existence? You you have to work it sometimes. And he goes, you have lost your fire for people. You've lost your fire for the carrying of the gospel. People go to hell, Timothy, because you don't take it to heart. You've been given a grace. And that leads me to the last one. And that as we get forgetful, we get forgetful about what? That we've been graced with a gift. How many believe that salvation, your eternal life in heaven, is a gift of God, not works? He did it for you. So why were you gifted? You weren't just gifted for yourself. This was not just for you. Your life now in Christ as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. See, let's take it out of the vernacular or the words that we'd normally say, I'm a church member. Well, church members often can be the worst kind of representatives of the kingdom of God. There's some people, you don't want to follow them to their church. But that's not what Jesus calls us to be. He calls us to be disciples. If you're with him, 
If you say you're with Christ, let's just go back. Go back to if you say that you're a Christ follower, the same Jesus that called out the disciples calls you. Or if you say, I believe in Jesus, I'm walking with him. What did he say? Follow me and I will make you what? Fishermen of men. He didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you church members. And we're just going to sit around and talk and hate each other after a while. No, we're going to get involved in the lives of people because we've been gifted for this. We've been graced for this. And as we're coming into this season, who knows what God wants to do? I know one thing. There's 10,000 Koreans moving to Samsung, to Thorndale, Texas. I don't know if she's Korean or from Thorndale. But anytime you hear the word Thorndale, you've got to shout out because it might be the last time anybody mentions Thorndale. But I know that God is sending Justin Samsung alone, not just the Koreans by the thousands, but largest construction project in the world. In the world is the Samsung building project. Quarter of a trillion dollars. And more phases to come. I know that the interest rate is not compatible to buying a home right now. How many wish you would have bought your house a couple of, well, a couple months or a couple of years ago? But in this area, guys, it's still going to grow. I'm going to tell you something. I need your gift. And if you're walking in your gift, you're going to be a joyful person. It's joyful people that help the church grow. It's joyful people that help the church remain unbreakable. And I don't want to live my life as I did a funeral for Jimmy Jacobs this past Wednesday, who was a very prominent builder in this area. Had a thousand people here in the service. And here's Jimmy. He built houses for people. And he was a Christ follower. And I said, as I closed out the service, I said, the cool thing is, Jimmy Jacobs, if you didn't buy a house from him on this planet, he's already in heaven buying property, and you're going to have to buy a house from him in heaven. But I want to make houses... I want to make heaven reality for people because there's no greater gift than to say to someone, I had the privilege of preparing the next generation to follow God, to know God. And God will help you. Can we stand to our feet, please? That's a sign that we're about to go. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, Number one, how many want how many want God to say like Simon, Simon, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My father revealed to you the church. My father revealed to you the kingdom of God. How many want God to open up your eyes to the house of God, to the church of the living God? Let me see your hand. How many want to see all that God has for the church? See, I don't want to see the church as man sees it. I want to see it as God sees it. And when you see what God sees, I'm going to just tell you, you're going to not live a full life until you fulfill God's ultimate house, ultimate desire is to build the house of God on this planet. Guys, he has two big concerns. Number one, his son and his church. Let me just tell you, I want my eyes to be open. I want to love you better. I want my love to grow better for the house of God. I want our love for each other to grow better. I want everyone to be connected in Jesus' name. I want there to be such an expression of God's love at Celebration Church. It's unbreakable. And I'm just telling you, it will restore the faith of people who have lost their faith. And number two, how many want to have a heart for those people that are away from God or people that don't know God? In other words, having a spirit of hospitality, a spirit that says, Lord, help me to be an evangelist. Help me to do the work of an evangelist. In other words, get into the lives of other people. How many want to be better at investing in the lives of people? Let me see. You want to invest. That's all I'm saying. Will you invest in people? Don't be about yourself. Don't be about your own world. Don't go to H-E-B just to shop. I do. I go to shop when Lori sends me to shop. But I'm also on a mission. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to connect to people. And I will honestly say, and I also, I will pick up an extra ice cream if I am also there. But I am also there redeeming that mission. I'm there to redeem, God, all things for your glory. Open up my eyes to be kind to people. 
to be nice to people, to be aware of people. That's all he's saying, be aware of people. Even when you are suffering, even when you're in pain, even when you are being persecuted, even when you are going through the hell that you're going through, you're not turning it to yourself. You're turning it to the redemption that God is going to use this for his glory. Can we say this out loud? And maybe lastly, how many of you would say, Pastor Joe, I'm not right with God. And today, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave without a relationship to Christ. You need to know that you're not saved because you go to church. You're not saved because you went to church. You're saved because you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And that you trust Him as your Lord and Savior. And that the authority and the power that you live by now, which is you, is transferred to Him. And if you're here today and you'd say, Joe, I'm not right with God, or I'm not sure where I will go if I died today, I would love to pray with you. And if you'd like to be included in that prayer, can you just slip up your hand all over this place today? Yeah, thank you so much. Maybe it's the first time, maybe it's another time. But say this, can we just say it all together? Lord Jesus, because of you, I have hope in a world that's hopeless when everything's being shaken and everything's being broken. I'm a part of an unbreakable kingdom. I have an unbreakable God because your truth, the truth of God is unbreakable. And Lord, I thank you that I am secure And I am forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Fill me, Lord, with your grace, with your power to love people, to love your church, and to love strangers. Lord, I ask you to use me to advance your kingdom. I thank you for your love, for your grace, and all of God's people said, come on, can we just thank God for his goodness, his mercy.